podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Man City Show. It's Nigel Rothman back in the chair. And Manchester City continue to march on. That's 147 games unbeaten. Uh, not let a goal in for seven years. And it's just absolutely fantastic. I've got three guests to wax lyrical about all of that and much more. Welcome, in no particular order, to our old friend John Stapleton. Hi, John. Welcome to the show. Nigel, good to be here. Thank you. And welcome also to Dave Hodgson. Hi, Dave. Hello, hello. And to Lisa Rabinovitz. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Nigel. Listen, can can we just start, please? I saw a comment on Twitter recently uh, that non-City fans were saying how boring it must be to watch City every week. Uh, and I just kind of wanted to start on that point. And maybe, Lisa, you can kick us off here. How bored are you, Lisa, watching Manchester City this season on this amazing run? Um, I'm so bored, I just don't know what to say anymore. Um, yeah, they're putting me to sleep. <laughs> just honestly, I don't care whether other people think we're boring. It's so not boring. I can't watch other football matches because they're so boring. Um, or just lacking in quality. Um, I don't. I, I don't believe. I think people just obviously they just want a reaction and they've got nothing better to say and they're just jealous. I'm not bored. John, I've never been bored. bored. Uh, John, never bored? bored. And 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 absolutely not bored at the moment because although we are winning everything in sight and we are now a machine that you know clicks into third gear and occasionally into top, but never it looks in danger of breaking down. Although we are a machine. There is always that little suspicion that maybe you know something could happen here, like like you know at the weekend when in the last minute West Ham could have equalised, um, because we're not at our sparkling best. We're not playing sort of effervescent, flowing football all, all the time, but we all we look solid. We don't look to me as though we're going to lose, and I don't ever put, put put it bluntly. So no, I'm not bored. I'm always to some extent on the edge of my seat, and I'm more than happy to accept the fact we're not playing at our sparkling best. Dave, how bored are you? I mean, the history of art is littered with Florentines saying how dull it was to watch Leonardo da Vinci paint because they knew that they'd get a massive beat every time. uh, You know, I mean, what are they saying? We create this beautiful football. It's great to watch. There's always, you know, some new method of inventivity, whether, you know, it's going to be led by Gundogan or De Bruyne or Mares, Foden, Bernardo. The fact I can, you know, just list five players who could change a game with their creativity. The fact that we seem to create results in new and different ways. You know, I, I don't see how you can be bored by this. We're watching football history being written. But others are saying that, aren't they? Others are using that word. Because we're predictable, we play it a certain way, we just keep the ball and we we pass and we pass and we pass. I'm trying to work out maybe why people say say it's boring, Dave, here. So so you could construct an argument that says it's predictable, um, it's the same, and we sort of try to eventually find a way through, and and, and it's boring watching that every week, one could argue. You could. And, you know, you could say that, you know, if you compare it to say, the 20, um, 2019 season where, um, you know, City and Liverpool were neck and neck for the season, there was that element of competition in the sense that either could slip up, you know, that maybe does create a more um, more competitive environment in that way. But you think, you know, two, uh, two of the last four seasons, you had Liverpool running away with it last year, you had City running away with it a couple of years before that, you know, the... This is happening more and more that we have a breakout team who come along and the way they're doing things is that little bit different, that little bit better, that little bit more exciting. And people talk about 
great seasons a little bit, but people always talk about great teams. You know, when, when we hear, certainly when I hear um, people talk about football in years gone by, there's always certain great teams. You hear people talk about Stanley Matthews Blackpool or, you know, the Manchester City side of the late 60s or you know, the Liverpool team in the 80s. People talk about great teams. And I think we're seeing something that's going to be talked about in that way. And yes, maybe people will complain at the time it's boring. I don't think history will remember it like that. And what, what's boring, what's boring, Nigel, about a team that's, you know, after the start of the season, was in what eleventh position, twelfth position in the league, surging forward to what looks like, fingers crossed, touching wood, an almost unassailable lead at the top. I mean, there's nothing boring about that. It's just absolutely remarkable, and it's relentless, and it and it works. And uh, for me, it's exciting. Uh, I'm excited by it, Lisa. You you excited? I know you get excited about lots of things, and then this must be one of them, surely. I'm a lot more excited about it than I was at the beginning of the season than last season. Last season, I was bored. I mean, I suppose, therefore, you could see why um, our rival fans might be bored. But I, I don't think it is that. I just think it's a lot of these people just love to find something negative to say about City rather yeah. than actually just go, you know what, this is a great team. And there are plenty of people who are saying this is a great team. I think it's easy to not see that when especially on social media, it, you pick up on all the negativity. We all pick up on the negativity more easily than we do the positivity. Um, but I, I also think it's not just down to the way we're playing. Most teams aren't really offering as much in the way of competition this season. Let's talk about like who we played at the weekend. I, I think that is just a limp and tedious argument created by our envious critics. That's, that's the top and bottom of it. Let, let's, John, talk about the positives then, because there are so many positives to talk about. What, what's, what's impressed you particularly, or maybe who's impressed you particularly? I did see a tweet from you earlier on that seems to have got, got a bit of a reaction. There's one particular player you singled out. But, but help us expand a bit on some of the positives and what's been really special about these last few weeks then, John. Well, I, I single out young Zinchenko because on, on Twitter earlier this afternoon and it got a very positive response from a, a lot of City fans agreeing with me that I think he's one of the unsung heroes of Manchester City. When he came into the team, he got a lot of stick and I made a couple of mistakes, but he's a very young guy. And don't forget, you know, we picked up this lad for a million quid from some random team in, in Russia which no one had ever heard of. You know, he was a, a midfield player. Pep turned him into a left back Playing him out of position in in the you know the the best league in 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 the world probably, and he made a couple of mistakes, but he's got better and better and better, and he's adopted to his game. Don't forget also that at one stage he was going to go to Wolves, and he said no, I want to I want to take my chance at Manchester City. Now I applaud that kind of loyalty, and I applaud that kind of courage because he didn't have to do that. He could have gone to Wolves, and he, he would probably have played for Wolves. All, all that season, but he didn't. He stayed with City, kept it. He was got injured. He fought his way back into the team, and now he's in this. You know, like like so many City players in this role where well, you think, well, he's down on paper as a left back, but he's actually playing in midfield and he's doing it well. And he's hardly put a foot wrong this season. I would probably make a complete bollocks of it now. On some tomorrow night now, but anyway, <laughs> I said that. You know, commentators curse. And all that, but I think he's terrific. I mean, and, and you know, talk about value for money. I mean, Phil Foden we got for nothing, but this lad's the cheapest player we've got, and he's he's great. And I, I think also he does not to just finalise my point. He doesn't get the the credit from a lot of the fans, and certainly in in, in a lot in in the media that he actually deserves. He's he's you know he's, he's, as I say the un, an, an unsung hero. 
Agreed. Lisa, I know, I know your, your history of city fallbacks is, is deep and, and, and extremely um, rich in terms of your comments over the years. There are various fallbacks we could mention, but just sticking with Sinchenko, I guess you, you agree with John, an unsung hero? Yeah, completely. Um, I mean, hopefully, fingers crossed, he'll, he'll, this will be the second Premier League winning season that he has played at left-back when, as John said, he was not bought as a left-back. Um, I think there's some, some players don't get the credit they deserve and it's, it sounds awful to say it, but I think sometimes the lack of criticism is the credit that they're getting. Um, they, they do go a bit unnoticed, but we've always had players like that. Like Gareth Barry never got the credit he deserved generally. Um, certainly didn't get the plaudits that the players around him got, but players like him and like Zinchenko now allow everything else to happen because they're doing their job well. I think it's also probably helped him playing in a back four, although he's not always in the back four, that is very solid this season. Um, that's helped everybody. But he's he just gets on with it. You know you're going to get the right level of effort from him. And he never seems to be a player who's complaining about the fact he's not getting the chance to play in midfield. I like him. One of my Twitter correspondents, sorry, one of my Twitter correspondents said a few minutes ago, if you'd have said to a City fan 12, 18 months ago that a back line would have would have comprised Zinchenko, Cancelo, and Stones, you'd have been laughed out of the room. And look at it, you know, fantastic. Dave, a quick quick comments on Zinchenko or anybody else you particularly want to pick out as maybe an unsung hero or someone who doesn't quite get the credit that they deserve in this fantastic winning run. Well, one thing I wanted to add on Zinchenko is, in a lot of ways, he reminds me of James Milner. You've got that sort of central midfield player who can play in all these different positions, works hard, can kind of do all these different roles in a slightly different way. And I think he's one of the things that he is not getting enough praise for, as well as his general performance, is what he's allowed Cancelo to go out and do. Because Cancelo is one of those unusual type of fullbacks who is not just bombing along the right, he's bombing along through the centre, through the left, all over the pitch. You can't necessarily have two players doing that. You need someone like Zinchenko who can do that defensive role with that um, a little bit more rigour, but also knows how to drop into midfield, how to, how to sort of play it simple while Cancelo takes on these more difficult um, more difficult aspects. And I think that's there's no coincidence in the fact that Cancelo's best performances have come as Zinchenko has been taking the left-back role. Maybe that does ask more questions as to how... Um, whether Zinchenko is the right left back to be playing when Kyle Walker's playing, and you want a more ortho- a more orthodox sort of set of fullbacks, but um, I think as you know, the best players historically are the players who not only give good performances themselves, but get the best out of the players around them. And maybe Cancelo is not around him to the extent that he's not around anyone because he seems to be all over the pitch nowadays. But you know, he is. I think he's really facilitated that role. And also, just one word on the fact that every from everything you know, you, know, you read about the actual in, inner goings on of the club, Zinchenko is one of the big parts of that dressing room. He's always getting involved with the youth teams and you know, sort of geeing players up and big part of the club. You know, real sort of. Um, uh, not not dissimilar to Micah Richards, that kind of happy, um, you know, gregarious personality from the senior um, from the senior team that really sort of um, is able to exude his influence around the club, and I think that's just wonderful to have. I've always wondered, always wonder. I wondered recently that if he was if he were to be sold, whether that's to Wolves or anybody else, would he be sold as a fullback or a midfielder? 
I mean, because for most of his time that I've seen him, he's, he's played in that fullback position. I just wonder, as a as as a scout or somebody looking at him, what would they buy him for? Well, he still yeah. plays. I think he still plays the Ukrainian midfield, though, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, he is a midfielder, I suppose, is the answer to the question, but, but extremely versatile and done a great job. Um, John, can I, can I mention KDB, who clearly been out for a while, he's come back. One of the questions we've been asked on Twitter is, does Kevin De Bruyne now unbalance the team? Because we've played this certain way without him uh, on a fantastic winning run. The last couple of games since he's come back in, it doesn't seem as balanced. Is that fair or do you see something else going on? Yeah, KDB, who from facial appearances anyway, could be Zinchenko's dad. Um, <laughs> oh, love child. Anyway, um, yeah. Um, has he unbalanced it? Well, it's almost heresy to say this, isn't it? But to be quite honest, I, I will say it. I don't think we miss KDB, actually. I mean, he's, he is a fantastic player. He's, he's probably the best midfield player in Europe, if not one of the best in the world. And, on, you know, against West Ham at the weekend, he started off, I thought, by his imperious standards, rather rather rustily. He, he looked a bit, you know, off the pace. And then, of course, we had that an amazing pass uh, across to, to Diaz to score. And you think, ah, yes, thank you. Thank you, Kev. That's why we love you. That's why we love you. Uh, uh, he's, he's, a, he's a brilliant player. Does he unbalance him? Give it another couple of games before we pass a verdict on that. I mean, we didn't, I, I don't think, you know, we didn't miss him because Guardiola, Guardiola, um, Gundayan stepped into the role. Uh, Foden can step into the role. Bernardo can step into the role. And we played, we played so well, so, so Fluent football for long spells without him. Um, I don't think unbalances it. I think anybody who can cross a ball like he crossed the ball against West Ham is worth having in your team, irrespective of, the, of, the, of anything else. But, but for the first 25 minutes, and I, I may be exaggerating slightly, I don't think he found a City shirt until he, until, and you're absolutely right, John, it was again a, the most magnificent cross absolutely pinpoint but but until that point he, he was awful slightly different point i'm making dave i suppose is uh, building on the question i asked unbalanced or not or should we give it a couple more games as john suggests well it, it really depends what you kind of mean by balance and i think for, for a long period of time um you know him and david silver have this very interesting dynamic because whilst we all Lauded David Silver and you know, his metronomic passing. He didn't have the passing range that you get from De Bruyne. De Bruyne is much better at those Hollywood balls across the pitch, real pinpoint crosses. That was never David Silver's game. David Silver looked to pick the ball up deeper, shorter passes, really control the tempo. Key part of what we, what we did in those seasons, but that's kind of changed a bit now. You know, Gundogan is not playing the David Silver role; he's playing the Ilkay Gundogan role, and the whole dynamics in that midfield have changed. If um, I'd say Rodrigo is a more defensive player necessarily than Fernandinho, who would do aspects of what we now see from Gundogan. Gundogan is now doing aspects of what we'd see from Silva, and the whole sort of mix of that midfield has changed quite a lot. So you you know, in a game like this where we saw maybe. You know, you've kind of got Bernardo, Foden, De Bruyne. They're kind of rotating that central midfield berth a little bit alongside Gundogan and Rodri. have been that bit more staple. You, you know, we they're very different players. We're seeing very different things there. But in a game like West Ham, where they're sitting deep, it's going to be harder to pick them apart in the same way. Sometimes a player who's as accurate with the ball as De Bruyne is great to have. He moves in different ways. We also can substitute him in and out depending on who's effective. I think we haven't found a clear balance yet because we don't have a 
predefined formula for each game. We move that midfield around based on the opposition, what we're trying to do, and the way in which we're trying to get at the opposition. So it's a great problem to have. We're talking about probably the best passer of the ball in the world. Sometimes not everyone's quite in sync in the same way, but it's just such a wonderful problem to have. The other problem we have, Lisa, is Sergio Aguero, who's back after a long layoff and looking a bit rusty, which is fair and reasonable. Um, I, I don't suppose we expect him. And he, and he takes time. I think in the past, when he's come back from injuries as well, it's taken him a few games, uh, which is entirely understandable. Uh, my question really is more about, actually, he's come to the end of his contract, as we know, in his mid-30s almost. Um, the question is, actually, do we need a like-for-like replacement in the summer? Some are arguing that goals are coming from all over the place centre-back as well, just to mention that, to remind ourselves. But goals are coming from all over the pitch, the way we play the game. Do we need a headline striker to replace Sergio in the summer? Um, do we need one? Right the second, it doesn't look like it. But I think you can't just stand still and hope that everyone else stays the way they've been, every other team stays the way they've been this season. We need to move forward and think about the future. Not every player is going to stay. Things change. Sané left last season and we're all panicking about what we're going to do without him. I think we need to buy someone new. I mean, clearly we all want Haaland. Um, but I, I don't think it's like it is talking about like for like. I, you know, when, when Pep first came, everyone was talking about how Aguero doesn't fit into the way Pep plays. Sergio adapted himself to that. Pep's not going to... I don't personally think that Pep is looking for a Sergio Aguero. Yes, we score goals from all over the place. Would we benefit from having someone who you could guarantee is going to get you 20-plus goals a season? Yes. Would it frighten everyone else a lot? Yes. So I think that we will be trying to get someone. I hope we will be trying to get someone because if we don't, somebody else will. And that could be a problem. John, before we get on to um, a replacement and whether actually we believe that we do need a headline striker, do you just want to touch on Sergio's return for me? Uh, and I, did, I think I raised this last week as well. Just, I'm just concerned there's maybe something up. Um, is it all about injury? Is it all about just being a bit rusty or, or, or not? Am I, am I overreacting here saying maybe there's something up with Sergio and always not well in, in, in his mind, in his count with him and Pep? I don't know what it is. I'm just putting that out there just to get a reaction. Well, it's interesting, interesting you should say that because I was having a conversation with a very well-known former player this week, or I won't name for reasons which will become clear in a minute, who was saying to me, um, we maybe have to face the fact that Sergio's, we've had the best of Sergio, basically. Uh, and, you know, and, and he didn't elaborate on that. And uh, But I, I, I think your analysis is, is probably spot on, a combination of things. You know, the wretched injuries he's had, the COVID problem he had, his age, uh, the fact that he's not had much experience, hardly at all at all this year. It may be that at that level, he's he's passed his best. I mean, terrible thing to say about such a fantastic player, you know, brilliant, brilliant player. 
in a, in a world of his own. People, I mean, it used to slightly annoy me when people used to say about Jesus, you know, he's no Aguero. There is no other Aguero. Forget it. You know, he's a one-off. Don't even think for a single minute anyone could be as good as that because they, they won't be. But uh, to, to, uh, to elaborate the point, if we are going to go for someone, I've seen Harry Kane's name mentioned, and although, you know, fantastic striker he's been, I wouldn't go for Harry Kane. A, he's too old. B, he's got dodgy ankles. Harlan's the boy. I, I saw Harland uh, at Mulder in Norway. Now, why was I in Mulder in Norway? My son's wife comes from Mulder. And we happened to be there where they were playing hymns one night. And this kid came on. Well, he didn't come on. He started. He was, I think he was 17. He might have been 18. He beat, he, he beat Hibbs on his own. He got a hat-trick. It was unbelievable. And, you know, I just looked at his record this afternoon. And he scored almost a goal a game wherever he's gone. You know, and he's currently playing for Borussia uh, Dortmund in, in, in the Bundesliga. You know, not bad. Not bad for a lad who's still 20 years old. So if we're going for anyone, that's who I'd go for. Your view, Dave, on, on the Aguero situation? Well, you know, as, as I said, you know, last time I was on, you know, Aguero is one of those players who's been a little bit, of, you know, a nice problem to have for Pep, but I don't think Pep ever goes out and says, I really need a striker. You know, you, you watch the first season, we were relying on, you know, one of Sane or Sterling would cross to the other one at the far post, and that was how we were getting a hell of a lot of goals. Aguero, you know, if you have that system, you know, he, he has the technical seat technical skills to drop back, you know, as a false nine. He's not really the sort of player, you know, we, we never have the opportunity where we're getting in behind teams because no one plays a high line against us. That would be suicide. So no one does it. I think it is, you know, whether Aguero is gone now or, you know, a year, two years time, the succession plan has to be in place. And it's very clear that what that player needs to be is someone who is equally comfortable dropping back into the midfield to pick up the ball where necessary, can bring wingers into the game, realises they're not always going to be the finishing focal point. I think this is the reason, to your point, John, why people mention Harry Kane. Um, People mention Harry Kane because Harry Kane has a fantastic passing range. He is usually quite good at bringing players, usually Son, um, into the game and is very prepared to get assists. I don't think Kane is the solution either on the basis of age. And it will be interesting to see how Haaland works with that because he's generally worked as a focal point more in the teams he's been in. Um, it, I'd love to see him. I think he's probably the player that suits. I absolutely do not want Romelu Lukaku because half his shots on goal are actually an attempt at a first touch. But, you know, you kind of see that you've got these sort of options that they're looking for. I, I, I always quite like Martinez at Inter Milan for that reason, who is a player who's very comfortable dropping into midfield, can move out wide, can move up front. We probably could attach the same description to Gabriel Jesus, to be fair, who I think could do a decent job, you know, longer run playing as playing as a false nine for us. But these are all things we have to consider. Effectively, this has to not only be a player who in front of goal scores, if he could take penalties, it would be lovely. But, you know, if he can... He's got to be almost comfortable as a as a number 10, almost comfortable on either wing. Because we are that fluid, we need someone who fits in with that. Haaland shows the signs of being that sort of player, but he's not really played that role enough for me to come out and say, absolutely bang on, he's the man to do. Can, can we look at the back four then? We touched on it earlier on, uh, and in terms of Diaz, who has been a, a revelation. I mean, <laughs> it's just incredible the impact that he's had on the side. Uh, one of the statistics I absolutely love that I saw today is that Stones and Diaz have scored more goals than they conceded in the 16 games that they've started together, which is just a fabulous, fabulous statistic, which uh, is just brilliant. But let's just think about Diaz for a moment, John, and the impact he has had. I mean, we've all said that since company's gone, we've missed that leadership. 
Um, we've had a few seasons where our defence has been the issue. We'll never win the Champions League with a defence like that. But suddenly, we feel we've got a leader there. We've got someone who seems to galvanise galvanize the people around him. We've got real solidity. We just don't look like conceding. Um, just, just give us your reflections and thoughts on Ruben Diaz for a moment. What a player. Yeah. Well, you just encapsulated everything I was going to say, so thank you very much. I mean, thank you. So, Dave, give us your... <laughs> no, spot on. Spot on. I mean, don't forget, he's, what, 23 years old? He is, as you say, apparently a massive influence, not just on, but off the field as well. I noted the other week when he, uh, Stones, I think, made some amazing clearance, and he straight across to congratulate John Stones. My slight concern about the back four is about... is about. I mean, Diaz is a, I mean, solid as a rock, fantastic. I hope he stays forever. My slight concern about the back four is what we do about Laporte, because I suspect that we may need a new centre forward. We may also also need a new centre back, because I'm not I don't I'm not sure Laporte's going to hang around too long if he's playing second or third fiddle. And you know he's a big player and a very good player as well. I, I'm not sure he's going to put up put up with that for, for too long. And you know you, you know obviously Pep you know is, is making the right choice at the moment because Stones and and Diaz work very well together. Having said that, Laporte and Diaz work well together. I think on, on one occasion too, but. Would, would, if you were Laporte and you'd, you'd come for that kind of fee, would you want to be on the bench for most of the season? I don't think you would, would you? I think Dave's got the answer, though. I'd say two things on that. Firstly, I mean, Pep has traditionally liked a left foot and a right-footed centre-half. And to that end, you know, Laporte is the best left-footed centre-half we have. Whilst the Diaz-Stones recipe has worked wonderfully so far this season, does that last is a very big question. You know, we... We all hope so. It's been a fantastic mix to have, but do I, you know, there is always the risk that that changes. The other thing um, with the Cancelo, he's hard to describe as a fullback because he's so much more. But, you know, if you're notionally going to start him at right or left back, you know, there is possibly a formula that works in that where you are playing effectively three centre backs with your left back moving across. There is an argument for starting Laporte at left back almost providing that protection on the left-hand side, particularly in, in certain games where you're being more attacked that way. And as Cancelo moves into midfield, as play kind of transitions in that way, the defence rotates round and Laporte offers more of... You, you effectively play with three at a back when you're out of possession. I think there's there's a tactical flexibility that Laporte offers us that Pep is a very big fan of. We've also got to remember Laporte had a pretty rough time injury COVID-wise towards the start of the season, and that's um, something that maybe we'll see a little different in normal times. But I don't. Th- I think Laporte will be... I, I think he's going to be around for a while, and I think he's going to be encouraged to fight for his place. And to be honest, I think with the amount of games we have to come and the tactical rotation that Pep's doing, there's enough of a place for him to keep him happy. I hope that Dave's right. I understand what John's saying. Um, but then it's always going to be difficult for us to have a really top quality reserve is the wrong word, but to, you don't want someone backup. of a lesser backup, quality. But oh, backup's just as bad, isn't it? Is and, it? And I would, I mean, and if any of us, you can imagine saying this a season ago, we were so desperate for Laporte to be playing. And it just sounds ridiculous. And also, I mean, some of the passes you get from Laporte, um, it's like having a second Kevin De Bruyne on the pitch sometimes. Um, it's really difficult. I mean, what a problem to have, but Pep is pretty good at managing it. Um, I know this is kind of going backwards, so I apologise. I just wanted to say, when we were talking about De Bruyne and balancing the side, I think it was not just about De Bruyne. It was about Aguero as well, because Aguero, in the current state, and certainly pre-Guardiola, doesn't offer what 
Jesus, Jesus offers to the team. And I think that it wasn't just the Bruna being off the ball. It was that as well. And other players that had been changed. So, sorry, just had to get that in. Dave, last point on this, and I want to move on to a separate topic. One thing I'd maybe say is we've also got to remember Fernandinho is not likely to be with us for too many seasons more, although he's doing the most fantastic um, attempt at um, but seeming like he's 25 every every week. Um, you know, as he moves on, yeah, there is yeah, Stones, Diaz, Laporte. These are all players who I could see just occupying that role, a little bit of rotation with Rodrigo as well. So effectively, then you have a little bit more flexibility as to how you can use those defenders. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. I know we've talked around it at least for a little bit, but let, let's just focus if we can on the actual game against West Ham. I know we've talked about some of the players and some of the issues, but Credit to West Ham, I think. They they came to the Everham in, in, in good form, riding high in fourth place. Credit to Moyes and his team, I think. Absolutely. I mean, they they clearly came with confidence from what they've, they've been doing, but confidence in what they know they can do and the system they play, and they weren't trying to do anything differently. And they're, they're doing a very good job of that. And Moyes... I don't want. I never wanted to say I, I like David Moyes when he went to Manchester United, but I have to say that um, he's done a really good job there. And I think most West Ham fans didn't want him back, did they? So I think they're they're all probably um, eating their words now. But he he was always he always created us problems when he came with Everton, um, and his side definitely gave us. Uh, a challenge they scored um which no one has done for however many hours it was before that um and you know what if they'd have come away with a point i don't think many people would have said they didn't deserve it so for us that was a re- I, th- I think a very important and very good three points john you're always very generous in your praise of other teams and opponents when they do well i guess it's going to be no different today with west ham no, it isn't. I thought it was a massive win for City because West Ham are a damn good team. And Moyes, as he's just said, has done a terrific job. Is players who those two Czech lads he's brought in? Yeah, they are Czech Republic, aren't they? The two of them. They've been absolutely terrific. And he's got the boy from Brentford, Bernardino. No, not Ben. What's his name? You know, you know what I mean. Ben the guy Rama. The, sorry, Ben, ben Rama. Ben Rama, thank you very much. I've seen him often at Griffin Park <laughs> many times. He, goodbye as well. But, you know, they're not sort of real, none of them are really top flight players he's brought in, but they've worked, they've worked extremely well in that combination. Sent forward, you know, Miguel Antonio, good, powerful striker, always a worry. No, I, I thought West Ham played extremely well. And as I said a little bit earlier, they were a bit unlucky not to get a draw. And I agree with Lisa, you couldn't have complained if they had at the end of the day. 
And they nearly did, of course, in the in the fourth minute, fourth or fifth minutes added time. That uh, my heart was in my mouth. David, any anything to add in terms of West Ham and Mr Moyes? Yeah, I think um, in a lot of ways they kind of remind me of sort of Martin O'Neill sides you saw for Aston Villa, where you've got really built to counter attack, you know, good sort of you know solid banks when you you know when they're when they're trying to sort of um, absorb possession, and then they move forward damn quickly. For us, that's always going to be the sort of team we struggle against, to the extent that we're struggling against anyone at the moment. So, you know, I, I kind of saw, saw it as a big test. Was very impressed with how they set up. You know, I thought that uh, um, John mentioned you as uh, Sufal, their right back. You know, it reminded me of Zabaleta on so many instances. You know, super strong at the back, bombing forward. Um, they were really, you know, very, you know, very well placed. And you know, if, if even making Lingard look good, I mean, you know, there's all sorts to uh, all sorts to be said about you know the, the miracles that Mr. Moyes is working. Let's look forward. We're going to talk about Europe in a, in a moment because uh, we had a pretty impressive victory, a very easy victory um, against. Uh, German opposition uh, this week. Uh, I just want to talk about the next nine days, though, which this is frightening when you think in the next nine days. Uh, we've got Wolverhampton Wanderers this week, all at home, of course. We've then got Stratford coming to the Etihad and then Southampton. So three home tar- home league games within nine days. Uh, John, just, just thinking of that and, and the fact we can get nine points in those surely, We've certainly got one hand, if not two hands, on the Premier League trophy if we win all those three, surely. I think you're right. Um, hesitant as I am to make that kind of prophecy, but I, I think you're right, uh, Nigel, and particularly if we beat uh, United. It, it's very hard to see how any team would, you know, win 3-4 on the trot and City would lose 3-4 on the trot, which is what, in effect, it takes. It is an important uh, period. And in, in a sense, we're lucky that all the games are at home. It's not like the lunacy of last week where we're having to come back from Germany, have a day off and then play at midday the following day, which is, is crackers, really. But that's the great strength of Man City. We've got, we've, got, we've got two teams, let's face it, effectively two teams Pep can call on. And he is the Essendon Blumenthal of, of football in, in that sense because he, he knows very well he can, he can mix and match them all and it'll still work. Or it's certainly working this, uh, this season around. So I'm quite confident we'll come out of this with at least six, if not more points, actually. And I think if we get nine points out of the next three games, we are, to all intents and purposes, assuming no cataclysmic downturn in our, in our fortunes, we're home and dry. And, and if he's the Heston Blumenthal, I guess that Cancelo must be the snail porridge, I would have thought, <laughs> if you had to choose one, yeah, would you say? Who's that for? Uh, Cancelo, uh, he would be the snail porridge, wouldn't he? If uh, yeah. if he's Heston Blumenthal, that was his favourite. That was his famous dish he pulled together, wasn't it? Snail yeah, porridge, was, I think. yeah, you got the advantage of it there. Though. I we try and work out how snails came into it, giving Cancelo's pace. But yeah, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I was going to come down completely the wrong track. Um, yes, exactly. You're way ahead of me in culinary matters and many more, Nigel. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's not true. Uh, so. Uh, Big big nine days coming up then, Dave. Sum it up for us. Yeah, I mean, Wolves have disappointed me this season. I always think they've got a very deep pool of talent. Uh, obviously, last season they caused us no end of problems. You know, they've got some players. You know, Traore, I think we're all vaguely terrified of, having seen what he's done to us in the past. Yeah, I think you know, Pedro Neto, Pedense, they've got a really good deep set of attacking players, nearly all Portuguese. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful team. To be honest, I thought they would kick on more. 
under um, the Spirit of Santo. I thought they'd have a much uh, better year this year and possibly be pushing for top four. Um, they haven't done that, but still pretty dangerous. Um, some team were playing on Sunday. Not going to talk too much about that. And then Southampton, you know, they've. Um, but but there's, there seem to be two Southamptons. There's the one that can uh, turn out a massive result, and the other one who seems to uh, leak uh, eight or nine. So uh, that one could. I think Southampton, we should be okay. Wolves always worries me, and the Derby, you know, we should be fine. But those games can throw up all sorts of things. And Lisa, Dave's given us a nice assessment of each of the games. I'm interested in your view about the Premier League in terms of does it mean win those three and, and, and we're home and dry, or do you have a, do you have a different view? Uh, I think if, if we won those three, even I would struggle to find a negative a negative slant to put on it. Um, I particularly think as long as we don't lose to United, um, I mean, I would like to think we're not going to lose the other two as well. Um, then I I think just not losing the derby is is probably enough. Yeah, Lisa, can, can we can we look back then to Borussia Mönchengladbach then as well, which, which seems a long time ago now, but a, a professional dominant, <clears throat> brilliant performance. Let's remind ourselves this is the last sixteen of the Champions League, and we just looked so comfortable and so dominant. It was a joy to be almost boring, you could say, Lisa, going to an early <laughs> part of the show. Of course, possibly, possibly. I mean, it prob- we probably should have had more goals. Um, but I, it's very rare that I'm not really that worried. I mean, obviously we needed to score a goal, but um, I, I just never felt so comfortable watching us play in the Champions League. It's ridiculous. I hope it continues um, because we always seem, after for once, it felt like Pep just played the right team, didn't overthink the situation. Not that necessarily there was anything to overthink in that particular draw. I don't think, I think obviously everyone thought we were the favourites. Everyone thinks we're the favourites for the whole competition, which I think is ridiculous. But um, it was just good to see us just do the job, do it very well, little fuss. And we're not expending too much energy in all these matches that were coming away winning, which is also incredible if you think about the fact we've won 20 games on the trot and we aren't really getting out of third gear. John, you've, you've enjoyed a few European campaigns over, over the years. You must have been delighted to see the ease and the comfort in which we, we won that time. I was, but I also agree with Pep when he, when he said after the game that he thought, actually, we, we missed too many chances up front and that we, 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 you know, we could have killed that game off, that, that tie off completely. I mean, it could have been, should have been, arguably, four or five nil. We didn't, we didn't take full advantage of that. But, you know, two nil away from home, you can hardly grumble at, can you, Frank, frankly, in the Champions League. Uh, or a team that's been slightly out of form, apparently, in the last, last, last few weeks. But, no, two nil away from home anywhere in the Champions League is a great result. Great result, Dave. Great performance. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think they're a bad side. As I've said, they've got some very good players um, who I, who you know, I thought maybe could cause a few more concerns. There was a couple of moments where they, uh, you know, we looked a little bit shaky. Um, yeah, I agree with Lisa completely. I think calling us favourites is is baffling. I mean, you look at you look at the strength in depth of someone like Bayern Munich, and I, you know, I think they're still very hard to look past. We can beat anyone on our day, so can they. Um, it's going to get more interesting as this goes on. Um, and I'd be quite interested to see us get a harder draw in the quarterfinals to really sort of 
you know calibrate what we're like against some of the the real strong teams but i suppose one thing i'd like to say you know once we've got the next couple of games over and done with our fixture list starts to look nicer just as it gets rougher in all the other competitions so if we were going to do this now's the chance can i pick up on this with you uh please and i want to start with you lisa in terms of this favorites tag in this podcast we've already said somebody <laughs> said this is probably the most difficult league in the world and we also know that we are unbeatable. We don't let goals in. So with my Devils Africa hat on again, it's not altogether surprising. We've got our defence sorted. We're not letting any goals in. We've got experience in the competition. So, of course, we're favourites. It's not, it's not a surprise. It's not a ridiculous situation that the brilliant, the fantastic, the record-breaking Manchester City are favourites. We're, we're going to win every other competition. Why not this one? Of course, we're favourites. Discuss. Specifically the Champions League or just in general yeah. being favourites? Let's start, let's start with the Champions League. Because um, that, that's I, the one that you guys, I, I don't think John's necessarily, I've not necessarily given him an opportunity to have a, a say on this, but you and, and Dave particularly have both said it's ridiculous that we're favourites for the Champions League. My argument, or one could argue, that it's not a ridiculous argument to say that we're favourites at all. I, I don't, well, I agree with Dave I think that Bayern Munich have to be favourites I think if you then said we're next I'd take I would understand that but I don't see how with Bayern Munich still there that we could be favourites we have yes we've got experience in the competition but our experience is basically bottling it every time we get anywhere near and they won it so you know very convincingly and I, I yes I feel much more if we come up against them which I don't know how, how it will go, but one assumes that we'd probably have to beat them to win it. I have more confidence this season than I did last season. Um, but do I? would I go into that game thinking, oh, this is going to be easy? <laughs> Clearly no. not. Sure. Um, and I, I, so I, I think that if they had, for some bizarre reason, found themselves no longer in the competition, then yes, fine, we probably would be favourites, justifiably. But with them still in it, I, I just don't think that makes any sense. John, it's not unreasonable, is it, for us to be favourites for the Champions League this season with everything I just said? No, not, not given the run of form we, we, we're in at the minute. No, it's not unreasonable at all. Um, do you know what? There's a tiny bit of me, sound absolutely, I'm only kidding when I, really when I say this in a way, but there's a tiny bit of me hopes we don't win the Champions League because if we do, I think Pep might leave and I don't want Pep to leave. <laughs> I think he, he might see that as, right, goal achieved, thank you very much indeed, onward, onward and upward to wherever, Miami or wherever he wants to go next or put his feet up. So, I, But of course, I want. I, I mean, I'm joking. I, I want them to win the Champions League. I want them to win everything. I, I, I have to say I'm, I'm hesitant about winning the uh, City's prospects of winning the Champions League for the, the reasons that, that have already been outlined. Having said that, at the beginning of this season, I said I didn't think City were going to win the Premiership, and I didn't at then because the form didn't suggest it. I've completely changed my mind, so who, who knows? Who knows? And what about this Tagger winning all four then, John, as well, as, as we as our time draws to a close? Or, or won't, won't we are favourites to win all four. How do you feel about that one then? Won't happen. Won't happen. Nope. You know, Everton away in the FA Cups, not easy, you know, for a start. Um, and, you know, I, I can't see as a team. I mean, we're a fantastic team, but I, I really can't imagine that. Uh, I, I think if we win three, it would be remarkable. Dave, great squad. Great on the phone, best manager on the planet. All four, mate. Go on, go on, stick your head on the block. Say, yeah, we're going to do it, Nigel. No, sorry. 
But um, I think, yeah, I think we, we could well come out with a domestic treble again, which is, by all accounts, still a record-breaking, fantastic season, or record-equaling, but fantastic season. You know, Bayern Munich, I still can't look past the Champions League. I also worry if we came up against PSG, I think they're perfectly positioned to beat a team like us with the way, sort of pace they can get from their, from their attack. I think they catch us out quite meaningfully. And I'm always worried about Juventus as well. I think there's, there's three teams there I've just listed that could beat us. Um, and, you know, I, I just still think there's a certain naivete that we exhibit in the Champions League that would ultimately cost us. And, you know, we always talk about the quadruple as being too much of an ask because games come thick and fast. The demands, the physicality, all the, these different things. It's even more so this year. Why is it, you know, if anything, it should be less likely that a team does it this year than any other year. So, no, it's madness for me that we're even being linked with it. Do you know what? I think I know what Lisa's going to say, but we'll let her say it anyway. So, Lisa, the last word is yours. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't think there are many City fans who believe this. It's all media hype, um, and it, it gives something for people to talk about all the time, but including us, obviously. Um, but, uh, you know, the thing is, with the Premier League, it, it looks unlikely that we're not going to win it now. And why? Because we're playing consistently well. Yes, obviously, you take that form into cup competitions, and you would think you'd also win those matches. But cup competitions are different. You do need some luck sometimes, and equally, the team you're playing can get some luck, and then it's over before you blink. And 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 you know we we've got as John said, we've got Everton in the next round of the FA Cup. Won't be easy. Spurs, you know, I love Spurs. Um, and now they've got Bale really on fire by the looks of things. And if they if we come up against them, Kane and so on, we know that they can cause us problems. We could lose that. I mean, obviously, I want us to win all of them. Do I think we're going to win all four? No. If we do, wonderful. I don't care if I'm wrong. I mean, who's going to care? Which City fan is going to care being wrong about that? But I've I've always just been happy for us to win the league, and maybe that's a bit um, pathetic of me. But if we win the league, and that's all we win, and get far in everything else, then, you know... Great. Well, I think you know what three three wins in four seasons wouldn't be a bad uh, return, would it? Uh, and I think we'd be happy with that. The the rest will be a bonus. I'm with you. Listen, huge thanks to my three guests, to Dave Hodgson, to John Stapleton, and to Lisa Rabinowitz. This is Nigel Rothman saying thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you all very soon. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit Playback Media. Sports Social Podcast Network.